Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Dear Writer. Today, we are recording episode 128, which if you weren't with us last week, is a continuation of our deep dive into the historical fiction genre, which I'm really excited to continue our exploration in this one. (laughs) It is quite fun to talk about for some reason. I don't know why, but I really enjoy it. (laughs) Yes. Genres are quite fun to discuss, although, yes, we only have limited experience. I'm not sure that we can speak to many other genres. Maybe we'll have to get some visitors to come chat with us about other genres. So to begin this episode, I thought we could start with quite a heavy-ish topic. So we can begin with a bit of a discussion about diversity and inclusivity in historical fiction, which is, I guess, an interesting genre to consider um, when you're talking about these topics. So Sarah? I definitely think it's an interesting uh, point, you know, there is always diversity to be found, but how you portray it is definitely very different from writing in historical fiction as to writing in t- contemporary fiction. And it's going to be different across time periods and places in history. And obviously sexism and racism has been present for a very, very long time. And although it may not always be palatable to the present day, um, I do think that some historical accuracy is needed as well. And you can maybe portray what it was like and why we need to move away from it, potentially, by having different viewpoints. And so, for example, in ancient Greece, where our story is set, traveling across city-states of Greece was not uncommon, um, but there was definitely tension between city-states and with Persia, their neighbors as well. So there was definitely like a different feeling of, oh, the Persians are kind of here and like, you you know, you get diversity in that kind of form or like, oh, there's the Spartans and the Thebans and the um, Corinthians and the Athenians. And so you get like different, different stereotypes are still present across mm-hmm. those uh, different types of uh, different geographical regions and each kind of, I'm going to say, n- like neighboring city-states view of each other differs. Mm-hmm. So like <laughs> the Thebans were not very well liked, for example, we've found. They've <laughs> no. largely kind of disappeared in history a bit because of that. And they were kind of seen as thinking- like... Think of the insult, Boshan swine. <laughs> <laughs> they were also seen as like kind of Persian lovers compared to like other, and because of that, a lot of the other city states in, in Greece kind of looked down on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I think using what is actually known about how like the different tensions and different feelings can kind of highlight the diversity and that you're not just dealing with like. Greeks or Romans, mm-hmm. and it's not all one and all the same. Yeah. 
Um, how about you, Ashley? I also find it's quite an interesting topic to think about because, like, you want your books to be, like we've talked about before in our diversity and in- inclusivity episode, you want your books to be um, inclusive and diverse so that, you know, people can, everyone can connect with your your book and feel represented. However, in historical fiction, usually, you know, they've got, given it's historical, quite historical views on things. <laughs> yes. So I think it's important to remember that you can well, try to try and strike, I guess, quite a fine balance between being true to the time period that you're writing in, but also recognizing that you need to be sensitive when handling some subject matter. So kind mm-hmm. of like walking that that line. Uh, and I also feel, though, that if you're reading historical fiction, you understand that the social norms back in those time periods are different to what they are now. So you're, you know, expecting some of these, um, you know, social inequality issues to crop up in these books. Um, yeah. Because, you know, a lot of his ancient societies were, well, they're patriarchies to start with. Um, usually women were oppressed, usually minorities were oppressed and they often had slavery back then too. And almost all of these types of societies back in the, like way back when. So I feel like if you're picking up a book from that time period, there is, for me, I would expect it to be in there. And if they had, I guess, misrepresented what it was like, I might even be a bit annoyed (laughs) If that makes any sense, like you, you are expecting to read about that when you're picking up books from those time periods. I feel like, you know, you have to acknowledge how far we have come as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. yes, there is a very long way to go, but it is also important to know that humanity has come a very long way. Yes. And yeah, I'm completely not trying to minimize anything that anyone has gone through because I know that there is mm-hmm. so much more work to d- to do. However, slavery is abolished now. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. <laughs> At least we've gotten that far. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like there's certain things that it's like they can feel like hot topics, but I think also like having them present kind of recognizes that it it has existed and it has existed in history and in some ways, if you were to not have it in there, it's almost less sensitive than to include it because that kind of just erases people's history. Like, oh, this mm-hmm. didn't happen. Um, when like there's a whole group of people who have come from that history and yeah. who that's a really important part of their being. So if you erase that, then it kind of just feels like you've just erased the struggles that have shaped my ancestry and have shaped who I am Mm -hmm. and has still have having an impact in the future. So it is actually really important to include as well um, for that fact is that even though these things might've happened all the way in history, they still have some impact on how people view and face lives in the present point as well. Um, So you want to be sensitive to that as well. Definitely. And it can be sometimes a bit challenging to put stuff like that in there. Like occasionally, um, because women were basically nothing um, in ancient Greece, it's occasionally it's been a bit challenging to like write bits like that, you know, like some of the derogatory comments or them not being able to do things. I found that you're a bit like, 
you'll write something and you're like, oh, actually, she probably wouldn't be allowed to do that. So never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I feel like, you know, you can strike a balance as well by Mm -hmm. even when you're not in the viewpoint of that character, having them act a specific way, like, sure, they, they might not be able to do that, but they might be... They might not like the fact that they're not allowed to do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you can have them slightly rebellious if you want as well. Yeah. Um, they don't have to be like really I mean, even if it's historically accurate that they're like, oh, this is my life and they don't yeah. question it, having a female character be a bit rebellious about that fact, because there would have been the odd person who was. Yeah, definitely. definitely. It's not like everyone takes things lying down, even <laughs> even back then, so yeah, and that's one way to try and find some balance, I think. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so the next question I thought we could talk about is, how important is it to visit the places you write about? I don't think it's particularly important, as I feel like so much can be obtained online and through other methods of research, and the places change so dramatically over time that I think it's not always even geographically accurate. For for example, some cities, such as the one in our book, were burned down and then built in entirely different places. Um, (laughs) So even if you were to visit like present-day Thebes, it would not be where the old Thebes was. Um, However, I do think if you have the opportunity, it can be helpful because the places you visit in the present day may have more information available than if you were to use the internet or books as a resource alone, like visiting a museum in the area that you're writing about will give you a lot of information about what things were like there in history. Even if it's a little town, sometimes you find these little tiny museums in the middle of these little towns. Like I, we went to a few of, we went to a small uh, museum when we were in New Zealand in Waipawa, I think, which is in the middle of the Hawke's Bay, but it's like this tiny little place. And it had just like some, like a lot of just random like collection of things from the central Hawke's Bay region and history and stuff. And so that was kind of cool just seeing that. Not that I've ever written about that. (laughs) I may in the future, though. You never know. Um, My family has a lot of like ancestral roots in the Hawke's Bay. And you can also get a feel for the land um, using all of your senses, which you can't get to the same degree through looking at pictures and reading books. So in conclusion, I think it's helpful, but not a must. (laughs) That's a similar conclusion I came to. I wrote down, it's always a bonus, (laughs) followed by... Given we cannot visit the time periods we write about, I don't think going to the location where your book is set um, in the past uh, is imperative. So I did, I have been to Greece. Um, I did not go (laughs) go to Greece in 400 BC, like our book is set. Uh, I did go in 2019. (laughs) Um, And I felt like it gave me quite a good feel for one. Weirdly, the climate, I think, was the biggest one which has been the most helpful. And two, some of the landscape, like how arid it is in the hills and that kind of thing. Not so much what life was like, although I did 
visit quite a few museums and did learn random bits of information that I would not have been aware of if I had just been just searching on the internet, which was good. And I did get to see a lot of mm-hmm. the his artifacts yeah. firsthand and some of the ruins firsthand. But even then, like it's so long ago, it's hard to imagine what they looked like anyways even though you're standing in front of like a pile of rubble in the place where it was uh, it's still quite hard to try and imagine that it was there so I feel like it helped but I don't think it's super super imperative that you go the next section I thought we could talk about is going a little bit more into character because uh as you're about to hear I hope when we're talking that it's quite an interesting challenge creating historically accurate characters so i thought we could talk about some of the challenges in creating them and also why it's quite fun so sarah so i think the main question that ashley's come up with as well is how do you make your historical characters relatable um so i kind of focus in the notes around Mm -hmm. that so i think you make them relatable by finding the motives behind their actions And so even if they go down in history for, like, the worst imaginable crimes, there's usually a reason. And if the reason isn't apparent, then you can kind of take what's known and try to play detective and work out why the historical figure acted the way they did. Um, When I was kind of thinking about this question, one of my favorite shows that I watched a long time ago, back when it was sort of made and when it came on TV. And I think it did a really brilliant job of this was the Tudors. I think they really nailed how King Henry VIII may have had good intentions from the start and then more than a few flaws, which he eventually fell victim to. And things just kept spiraling (laughs) and getting worse. Whereas, you know, prior to watching this show, you know, everyone knows generally the basic facts about Tudor history when it comes to King Henry and just, you know, that he's a wife murderer. So, (laughs) and so then you like see it all play out and you're like, kind of like, ah, right. So, you know, (laughs) he started off kind of like this and then all this like extra pressure just kept laying off. (laughs) And then he probably ended up with a slight mental health problem (laughs) as well. (laughs) (laughs) I like compounded things so like when you like start looking at like just the way things go down you're like ah okay so again like piecing together what's written in between the lines of history is kind of the the key to making your characters relatable um and making them believable and feel real Ashley? So I started off with, I kind of not went down a rabbit hole, but I was started talking about one type of character and then I was like, oh, there's two types. So I thought I'd highlight the two types of characters in historical fiction that, well, at least mm-hmm. in my opinion. One, there's those that are based on actual historical figures. And two, there are those that are the fictional characters that you've created and put into the world. Yeah. So for the historical figures, like Sarah said, it's a bit of a puzzle. Like, you know, you've got basic facts of what they did um, and I'm going to say quote-unquote who they were because I still feel like that's a bit ambiguous too. <laughs> yes. And then you have to, I guess, like piece together how those fit into making them 
have the outcomes that they produced, basically. When you read about a lot of historical figures, like especially we have in our ancient Greece book, you really do only have stuff like, this was their father. They did this thing, they did this thing, they did that thing, they died. (laughs) It's kind of what you get. And then it's a matter of trying to color the bits in between. And sometimes you'll even get some records of, you know, people writing about what they were like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then I always think about like, what would people write about me? And is that actually like what I'm like? You know, like is how accurate is that? So I feel like even with those things, you do kind of need to take it with a grain of salt because often, like, especially if they're particularly nasty characters, it can be colored, you know, towards that, uh, I guess, vein rather than, you know, what maybe what they were true like, but we don't know what they were like <laughs> anyways. But so it's kind of fun doing like, I guess you have a degree of psychology that you're doing on them. You're like, okay, what kind of events may have triggered them to start to act like that? And then making some educated guesses <laughs> being like, well, if they, you know, maybe event like this happened or an event like that happened, which has led them to become the person that they are now, yeah, which is fun though, because I feel like it's a little bit, not like a treasure hunt, but you do kind of. It is like, you, you're very much like a detective kind of like. Yeah. And then you yeah. wonder like what, like maybe they actually, the the character that you end up producing, you're like, imagine if they were like this. <laughs> yes. What if I've actually created who they were? <laughs> Um, that's quite fun. Uh, and then with the, the fictional characters, they're a little bit easier. And I think it's more looking up like the different types of people in society that you're focusing on and then is creating them from that. Oh, yeah. I think just considering the effect that setting has on yeah. people, like, you know, there's things that they can do and things that they're not allowed to do. Yeah. And then there's also like, the beliefs and stuff they may have held. Yeah. The certain religions and, you know, it, it, once you do your research, I think that becomes more apparent what type of person they to might be. add in. Yeah. Although I will add, I think there isn't a lot of information about the quote unquote everyman back then. Cause you know, you've got a lot of information about, you know, yes, the warrior, the politician, <laughs> the, I don't know, the just normal everyday person, I find it can be a bit scant. But that makes sense, though, because, you know, you're probably not going to detail what the everyday life of some random person. This was the life of a laborer in the in the fields. <laughs> yeah, when a lot of the information you get comes from people visiting that town. So if the laborer yeah. is the same in Thebes as it is in Athens, they're probably not going to Mm-hmm. point out the differences or anything they're going to be like well you know they're politicians they do this they this is their you know the way that their um, political system works yeah so that is one thing i do find a bit challenging finding the normal everyday stuff sometimes is missing mm-hmm. yes so do you have anything else to add about character no i think we can continue continue on all righty this kind of goes back to the research part that we talked about before so what do you do when you can't find the answer to what you're looking for because inevitably you're going to come across topics or things that they just don't really know or haven't really 
thought about, I guess, when you're looking back in time. So, Sarah? So we said last time about filling in the blanks and yes, when you're researching, there definitely comes a point when you have to accept the answer you're looking for isn't out there. Yep. Um, although you should definitely do a lot of research before you decide this, especially if it's something very particular that you're looking for, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Sometimes you do have to fill in the blanks and make some stuff up. Uh, just make sure what you're making up fits with reason and with the culture and time period and call it an educated guess as you may not be wrong if you've done a lot of research. Yeah. And like all historical fiction books, provide a disclaimer at the beginning of your book to protect yourselves against those who take offense to things that aren't 100% historically accurate. Yeah. In my opinion, these people should probably stop reading fiction if they expect everything to be historically yeah. accurate. Yeah, maybe the genre isn't for you. <laughs> It is called, like, yes, it's historical, but it is called fiction for a reason as well. (laughs) Yeah. Ashley? (laughs) I've written, make it up in brackets. More like take a reasonable guess with the information that you have. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, So I've come across this a few times, and my, my, my process of, you know, guessing is more like, I know they have this. Or I know they knew this. And if they knew this, they probably knew this. So logically, the next step would be blah. And that's like the answer. Um, and I also figure, you know, if you've done a lot of research and you really can't find it, uh, your educated guess is probably just as good as anyone else's educated guess at this point. If you, yeah. if you know, if you know the time period quite well. I guess another thing that you can do is base it off, base your, Um, answer off something similar so I've had this problem before especially with feasts and rituals because there's a lot of information about certain feasts and certain rituals that happened in ancient Greece and then there's really like you know just the name or there might be like one sentence about some other ritual or festival or feast in some other town Mm -hmm. so the one, obviously, that I wanted is the one where they're like, this existed. And you're like, well, what did they do in it? And there's like no real information. So I took a lot of the information from a similar celebration that was found in like a different town. Like, yeah, it's not going to be perfect, but I feel like the bones of it are probably similar. Um, so that's something you can do as well. Yeah, that's a good Look point. Something similar that they do know. And then, you know, you can maybe tweak yeah. it a little bit to suit what you need. Um, so that would be my two tips for finding the historical answer that isn't there yes all right so now i thought we could talk a little bit about language choice um so things like jargon slang the tone and another thing i've added how do we really know what they sounded like um and basically how our choice of language uh in historical fiction affects our readers experience when they're reading it so sarah Mm mm-hmm So it's an interesting one because, you know, language is going to differ a lot across historical time periods. And even like the actual language that is used, like obviously you're not going to write an entire book in ancient Greek language. So good on you if you have, though, just in case anyone out there has. I applaud you. I'm pretty sure you 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 probably have a very limited readership. <laughs> yeah, you. If you did. And a couple of scholars, perhaps. 
I think that the biggest issue that we had with it was like how our characters would like be able to understand mm-hmm. the language. Yes. However, you know, because that ours come from the future, well, we've got a few characters from the future, so it's like going back into ancient Greece, how are they going to understand it? One of them is a scholar, so that's kind of all right. I'm not sure in the terms of the other character, but we'll see. <laughs> just ignore it. <laughs> but, you know, like, I think, yeah, you, you just kind of have to accept that there's certain things that you're not going to be able to portray super mm-hmm. accurately and that readers need to license a little bit of imagination here and there. But as far as, like, jargon... My personal view is to keep the jargon as much as you can while having the book readable because you don't want it so full of jargon that readers can't work out what's going on. But equally, some jargon and language from the time period helps to set the novel in that time and place. So whatever you do use, if it isn't common knowledge, it's helpful to provide a glossary of terms for your readers. So that's kind of the road that I have taken in terms of writing our ancient Greece book is like, I like including the jargon, but just don't make it so full of it that you're like every second yeah. word is some random thing that people haven't heard of. Yeah. I agree. I like the idea of the glossary as well. That is really helpful. And when we've been doing our novel critique sessions, they, the people critiquing our ancient Greece book have often been like, do you please, can you have a glossary? I was like, I am collating one as I go, but it's not quite complete <laughs> yet. Uh, so for me, I have a quote from one of the art- uh, journal articles that I talked about in one of the um, previous episodes, which is in speaking about historical fiction, quote, the spirit of, you're trying to capture, quote, the spirit of an era rather than its accuracy. And I think the language that you're using, like when you're writing your novel, has a lot to help color that picture. So like you said, Sarah, you really want to have some of the jargon and slang in there. I guess it's kind of like how you try and incorporate words that your readers might not know what they mean um i guess using them in the right context so that they understand you know Mm -hmm. this word probably means this uh you know like i would use this word in its place kind of thing you can kind of even describe if if it's an object sometimes you can describe the object in such a way that it's kind of obvious what it is and then they like refer to it in a different terminology and it's like oh so that means this. yes And I I think the other thing I will add, and this also came from a previous episode, is that people really have absolutely no idea how people spoke back in history before we were able to record voice. Mm -hmm. So regardless of how, well, basically you can make your characters speak however you want them to speak. And no one can really uh, criticize you too much for it um, unless obviously there's like recorded voice of that time period because we actually don't know what people sounded like uh, and you know if you think about how people write today um, if you think about text messages or maybe Facebook messages and how people message each other um, if those were preserved in history and then people assume that's how we spoke to each other it would be very odd <laughs> lol people just like lol (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
So I think that's important to remember that the, you know, how people have recorded language isn't necessarily the way they spoke the language. So you can kind of use that to your advantage to then have your characters speak in a way that I guess you feel maybe that time represents that time period. And that can also help give a bit of color and transport your reader to your, your time period. So, and then as a final point, I thought we could offer some, any additional tips that we have for writing historical fiction. So Sarah. Yeah. So number one is to do your research. It's going to make things very hard to picture as we were talking about in the previous episode while writing and your book will feel off without having done some thorough research. Um, you can watch documentaries and films as research where possible, and this can take some of the study-type feeling <laughs> out of doing your homework. Number two is clarity. So there's nothing more painful than wading through a fiction novel and having to reread pages because it's too confusing or too complex to understand easily. So make it a great experience for your readers and consider the following. Uh, when creating characters, be careful about naming your characters, even if the names are out of the time and place are rather unique in the time period. Try to make sure that they at least sound different from one another so readers can follow the story more easily. You're not going to always be able to follow this if you're writing about historical figures, but when you're creating characters, uh, just be mindful and try to make them like a variety of different mm-hmm. sounding names. <laughs> I try to make them, especially for ancient Greece ones, if I'm creating a character, make them shorter. <laughs> yes. Not like 20 letters, like, I don't know, Androcleides or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you do want one that's like 20 letters long, maybe save that for like your main character or something. <laughs> or I don't know, just one that yeah. like makes them unique or I don't know. Again, keep a glossary of the terms you use and include it in your book later. And you can even use ancient maps, etc. in your novel if the geographical reason, a region has changed substantially. But I say this with just a kind of note that you should be aware if you do do this, that it may alter the cost of printing and producing your book. So <laughs> it's exciting to think about, but also just be aware of that particular fact (laughs) and lastly uh just something to make you feel more at ease even though we've talked a lot about accuracy and research in the last two episodes it's okay not to get everything right you (laughs) are a writer not a historian (laughs) even though some writers of historical fiction eventually become amateur historians and like i know that one of the books i was reading they went on and did study in the area and you know became a historian <laughs> you don't have to know everything and it is fiction have fun with it just put a disclaimer on the front my best. <laughs> and be like yeah it's mostly right like it, tough <laughs> <laughs> ashley what are your tips um i have two main ones so the first one's on a similar vein we are talking about research so my tip is research but then stop researching for a bit. So basically uh, you have to start writing your novel at some point. And 
like I said before, you have to acknowledge that you're always going to need to research while you're writing. So at the beginning, research until you can see your world and see your plot. And then I think you're okay to start writing. That'd be number one. And number two, I've written, put it all in and then take most of it out. (laughs) Yes. So I think it's really, it can be really challenging for you to envision the world or envision certain events or, um, you know, get some of the motives across for your characters, especially when, you know, they're grounded back in history and it can be, you know, hard and long-winded. Let's go with that. So I think it's okay for you, especially in your first draft, to put in all the background information and everything you need to help you see it clearly. But then when you're editing it, just remove most of it, basically. (laughs) Yes. And just leave in what you need. So that would be my other tip. I do that all the time, especially like chapter to chapter. I'll put in tons of stuff and then I'm like written it. I'm like, all right, I can see this chapter now and delete, 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 delete. I don't need any of this anymore. But it does help you to kind of see what's happening Um, so those would be my two big tips agreed and with that it brings us to the end of our discussion about historical fiction uh and then we can move on to mistakes of the month if you have any i don't have any i do not this month (laughs) that's all good then (laughs) next month i'm sure i will be working on that grace chapter (laughs) Uh, fun times so i guess we should wrap this episode up if you yep Yep. So if you would like to be on an author spotlight episode, you can apply by going to lindersoncreations.com, hover your mouse over the podcast tab in the main menu, and you will find a drop down to be featured on Dear Writer. And next time on Dear Writer, we're going to be doing another one of our creative exercises. So that's always enjoyable. And I hope you uh, get as much out of them as we sometimes do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And if you would like to know more about us and our writing projects, you can visit us at lindersoncreations.com or contact us on Facebook or Instagram under the handle Linderson Creations. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Tell your friends about us and we'll be back next week. Happy writing, everyone. Mm-hmm.